Hello and welcome to another episode of CryptoCast. I am James Burney, a financial services and fintech partner at Gunner Cook. And today I'm delighted to be joined by Robert Cooper, CEO, and James Byrne, CTO of DigiVault, a digital assets custody solution. Hi, Robert and James. It's great to have you on. Hi, James. Thanks for having us. So just by way, by way of a start, it'd be great if you could kind of just give a bit of background as to what DigiVault is and, and what caused you to launch DigiVault. So DigiVault, we're a digital asset uh, custody service provider. Uh, we also provide white label services where clients um, deem that that's the way they'd like to deploy their model. Um, we started back in 2018. And what we did at that point in time is we, we took a risk-based uh, view of the market, looked at what was in the space as, as an institutional platform, and really dove into what exactly made the difference for institutions. So a background of James and I, we're, we're both from traditional IT, um, myself from a security perspective and James from a financial institution perspective. And what was obvious back then is that the institutional um, sector wasn't catered for. Businesses weren't necessarily looking at where you've got large-scale institutions who are uh, governed by risk committees. There weren't platforms out there that accounted for what it meant to be able to deploy at scale and alongside a, a risk committee and a technology committee um, that have for the last few decades been used to traditional finance and fiat behaving in a certain way. So that's why we looked at the, um, the space back in 2018. That's exactly why we've looked at a platform and built platforms that are institutionally focused but also able to be used by um, high net worth individuals and the corporate treasuries and really deploying architecture that banks can and will understand. And also, it would help just to have a couple of words on, on the Equinox um, broader ecosystem, because one thing I'm swear of is, is Digivolt is heavily tied into that. And it'd be good to have a kind of a big round of, of who Equinus is in the US, where I think it, it, it's a regulated um, group of firms. Absolutely. So as you rightly identify, James, the, the group is, um, is headquartered out of Asia, indeed out of Singapore. However, we're listed on NASDAQ. Um, we're the first um, digital asset uh, business that owns an exchange to be listed on, on NASDAQ. And that was a uh, watershed moment for not only us, but for the sector and especially where we're focused as a group around compliance. And indeed, a very proud moment for myself is when um, us as a custody business were um, registered by the FCA for the recent AML registration. But that plays up into the wider group, as I mentioned, in the very compliance focused and regulatory focused um, set of businesses. So the group, as, as just mentioned, I. Um, headquartered out of Hong, um, out of Singapore, sorry. Um, the the group has a digital asset exchange. It's got a capital markets advisory business, a structured products business, which is soon to be launched. And the real differentiator is that we've come at all of the businesses with a regulation um, mindset. And by that, I mean, we've looked at the space and looked at, again, as, as we did with Digivolt, we looked at the space and said, right, how do we make a difference? How do we help institutions come into the space? And that is um, built upon the foundations of regulation because to get institutions comfortable, they want to understand the counterparties they're working with and 
um, a NASDAQ listed entity that has got regulations around the world is exactly um, where we believe is going to help bring institutions and get them comfortable with with entering the market. Also, from a technical perspective, um, the way we built out the platform internally within the group um, is also the, the, the same approach that uh, we can then extend out to connect in the kind of traditional institutional systems that, and platforms that we've uh, you know, we've had experience with in our, our previous careers in, in the, you know, the traditional finance sector. Um, so as an example, we've, we've got an integration with a post-trade settlement platform, post-trade back office system, um, Torstone. Um, we use that you know, within, within our current setup within the group. Um, and that's also a platform that can easily hook into large scale traditional institutions, has existing um, support for connection to um, traditional front end trading platforms. Um, so yeah, that's taking uh, some of the experience we got from the previous um, uh, work in the uh, finance sector and then uh, reusing that as, as we built the platform out uh, for external clients and also within the uh, within the group. And one thing you mentioned there, which is always going to light people up in the UK, is the FCA registration piece. Do you have any advice for those people who are still trying to get FCA registration in terms of, of, of how best to go about it? Because th there's a lot of talk about it being a kind of slightly difficult hurdle to, to assess where the hurdle is and what you have to do to achieve it. Do you have any advice for those people trying, trying to, to go through the FCA registration process? Absolutely. And we'll, we'll probably cover this again slightly, James, from two angles. So from my angle, from a business and then James from a technology um, standpoint. But from a from a business standpoint, as I said, it was an exceptionally proud moment when we got that um, accreditation or the, the, sorry, the registration. And for me, the advice is, is simple. From day one, be exceptionally diligent with your processes, be exceptionally diligent with your um, your policies, treat the asset class, to forget the, the underlying technology and blockchain, but treat the asset class as you would expect any other financial instrument. Because the FCA um, are looking to protect the market, they're looking to protect consumers, and they're looking to um, ensure competition. So what we have to do as providers is be able to facilitate that. So be open with them, be engaging with the FCA, be, as I said, robust in your processes, be robust in your policies, but work with the regulator because what what we're trying to deliver as, as service providers and vendors is a marketplace that is long lasting. It's going to be here in 10 years. It's going to be here in 20 years. If people try and cut corners, then that's where you don't necessarily only undo the good work of your business, but you also start to unravel the sector because we want to make this a, a sector that everybody can have access to. And so my message is, is really clear. Engage with the regulator early, have exceptionally strong processes and diligent policies, and you will make it through the registration. One thing that stood out from the registration is um, that the, um, the FCA, are, uh, although it's a registration, um, anyone who's rolled out systems um, according to the MIFID, uh, MIFID II requirements uh, would recognise um, the, uh, the a lot of the technical controls and process controls that, uh, that they, they are actually checking. So despite it being a registration, uh, it feels from the technical and business process side a lot like a uh, MIFID uh, licence um, 
uh, registration. A lot, of, a lot of the same sort of requirements like um, uh, disaster recovery, um, uh, technical uptime, uh, SLA documentation, external vendor um, controls and, uh, and contract controls. Um, a lot of those things would be familiar if you've worked on uh, MIFID uh, compliant or uh, licensed systems before. Um, and they, uh, they, they are certainly checked again as part of the, despite it only being a registration, they are checked again. Um, and there's a lot, of, uh, a lot of diligence put into that by the FCA. Um, so from my side, I'd say um, if you uh, ensure you've got some experience with previous systems deployed according to uh, the MIFID uh, two uh, rules around te uh, technical uh, platforms and the, and the process side, uh, and that that experience would uh, is is a great help with um, with, with covering that, that those aspects for uh, for the FCA. I think the other interesting point, just looking at, at kind of your business, is your regulation in the US, Asia, and, and in the UK. I'm aware that many crypto businesses are looking to to deal in different countries, and different regulators can take different approaches to things. Have you found that you've had to take a different approach when you, when you deal with different regulators, or have you seen actually that there's a lot of commonality between how different regulators are treating crypto assets and, and blockchain generally? Yeah, so, um, so you've touched on a, uh, an interesting point there, James. And again, there's a technology slant to this as well. But certainly, different regulators around the world are taking very different stances on um, on the space at the moment. What we're finding is that where you've got the regulators in Singapore, uh, the UK, uh, Germany, France, they're being very forward and proactive in um, in the space, but they're also being exceptionally, exceptionally might be too strong a stronger term. However, they're, they're being very methodical and looking at different aspects of what's important for them throughout the registration processes um, of however said they're, they're treating the space all the way through to regulators um, there's certain regulators in south america for example who are just flat out no at the moment and not allowing residents access to the space so again what we found useful is early engagement be proactive ensure that everything you'd expect of the traditional space your planning your policy and by planning i mean business planning um, your processes your policies are all aligned to not only global regulations but also the local um, the local regulations that apply to to that jurisdiction uh, but again there is a technology slant which i will pass over to to james for i, I would just cover uh, one specific um, global um, significant uh, piece of regulation to so the the travel rule um, as it applies to um, uh, cryptocurrencies so this is the the the, um, the, the requirement in essence to uh, to capture the um, the beneficiary originator information and um, pass that between say custodians or exchanges and exchange it um, as part of transactions um, now this is something that will come in globally but it's it's uh, coming in in a paste form so some regulators are earlier with it um, I think around the EU and UK, there's uh, some interesting considerations around data privacy that um, are, are, are uh, being worked through. Um, so uh, for, for us, because we we work extensively in Singapore and Singapore mass have been quite early with this, um, we're needing to you know have a technical platform ready for that early. 
um, and uh, uh, and and cover that for for that particular regulator. Um, but I think in terms of the sort of the, the approach of talking to regulators, that's that's what Rob's covered. Um, but the technical delivery, yeah, with the um, there are there are significant differences between what we need to do for the, for for that travel rule um, deployment. Um, and particularly Singapore is, is moving early on that and uh, we're, we're having to react to that as well. Uh, one of the things you're kind of hinting at is there is a slight tension between the regulatory world which goes at a certain pace and the pace at which blockchain and crypto assets and innovation etc are going which has been quite a big explosion over the last um, few, few months and years. Do you feel that the, the, the current pace of, of innovation in blockchain and crypto is sustainable? Or do you think that it's going to slow down and effectively become more institutionalized over time? Well, I, I could cover that from um, a technical side. And um, yeah, and part, sort of a part of that innovation and one of the, the, um, the obvious um, symptoms, I guess, of, of that is the proliferation of uh, multiple blockchains. Um, so obviously, you know, Bitcoin, Ethereum, um, uh, we're early and, and it seems like there's a new blockchain every month. Um, now, as custodians and for institutions, you know, it, those are all um, uh, things that you need to integrate with and they all have different uh, ways of operating and different uh, variations that you have to handle uh, and infrastructure specific to each. Um, so there's quite an overhead of that um, as uh, as it's occurred, and I think uh, if you if if you run through so what's the pressures that have caused that? Um, so yeah, I mean innovation, uh, but really there's there's um, functionality gaps and in in the earlier blockchains that are being filled with the later ones, um, and uh, some of those are performance scalability like Ethereum just doesn't have the bandwidth to cover what uh, the transactions going through to, through it and. Just the pure cost of fees is, you know, is pushing other blockchains, you know, like Binance Smart Chain as an alternative, and um, uh, and then you've got uh, the innovation of blockchains that are, uh, are trying to link and provide a cross connectivity between blockchains, so things like Polkadot. Um, so that I mean, that's all incredibly exciting um, from a technical perspective, um, but less so if you're trying to run a business that needs to integrate and uh, connect to all those uh, different uh, infrastructure. Um, I think the counter pressure of reducing that um, is something that definitely should, is likely to happen over time, so consolidate. Um, and that, that pressure will come in just as, uh, as um, you know, some of the functionalities available across some of those core blockchains. Uh, and then you'd expect uh, a level of consolidation um, so things like, you know, if Ethereum 2.0 comes in and uh, that relieves the cost of using Ethereum, that that would could well collapse in uh, uh, the the, uh, the the number of blockchains down somewhat. Um, if uh, Polkadot uh, succeeds in in some of the uh, the sort of the cross chain um, approaches, then that that could be a linking gel in the middle of it. Um, so yeah, it's it's very exciting time. There's a this innovation and explosion of blockchains isn't uh, is, is something that we, we we expect to consolidate and reverse over time. Um, and uh, you know, from a from a technical platform perspective, that um, that would be um, something that would uh, would help ourselves and uh, you know other providers who have to connect to all of those, and including the institutions as they uh, enter the market. That's very interesting. I think just the last question is. 
what do you see as, as kind of the broader trends in encrypted finance? So you know, blockchains in particular, but but are you seeing some broader trends starting to develop? Yeah, I mean, absolutely. When um, if you go back a number of years, then um, crypto custody as a standalone service um, is um, uh, you know is it, it, is fairly typical. Um, if you look at the traditional space, then you know custody is part of other services and ancillary service. Um, and that trend, you, we're seeing that in in the crypto sector as we kind of evolve and start recreating the the same things that have occurred in the traditional markets. Um, so yeah, the definite trend there is um, the the recreation of uh, the structures and um, financial services that you see in the traditional markets. Um, and the kind of the the trend at the moment uh, would be uh, say around um, custody being more of an ancillary service to to other uh, products. Uh, and particularly around things like prime brokerage uh, being uh, properly created and implemented in uh, in the uh, crypto space, um, and in in that kind of model, you know, us as a custodian, uh, we, you know, you're less likely to consume our services directly and more likely to consume us through uh, another product, whether that's you know prime brokerage um, or um, you know even exchange traded notes if you're. Uh, if you're not holding Bitcoin directly, and that, that's certainly a trend that um, is is only accelerating. That's really interesting. Thank you. I'm afraid that's all we've got time for today. If anyone listening would like to reach out to um, Robert or James, Robert's email address is Robert dot C at Digivolt D I G I V A U L T dot Com, and James's email address is james.b at digivault.com. Thank you very much for listening. James and Robert, it's been fantastic having you on. Thanks, James. It's been enjoyable. Yeah, thank you for the afternoon, James. It's been, it's been good.